Hello, folks. Welcome. This is Jeff Salzman. I'm coming to you from beautiful Boulder, Colorado, where I am sitting in my home with my neighbor and my dear comrade in the integral trenches, Steve McIntosh. Hey, Steve. Hi, Jeff. Great to be with you here. How are you doing today? Excellent. So the occasion of our conversation today is what I think is a very significant event in the integral world, and maybe even a historic event. Let's think big. And that is the, the publication of your new book, The Presence of the Infinite. I have to say, I, I, I've read it. I read it in various iterations as you were writing it. And, and I think it's a beautiful spiritual masterpiece. I really do. I mean, it has taken me into t- new territory. I feel like it's helped me take my next step on my own spiritual path. And so I want to acknowledge that. And I want to use this time to help people understand some of the themes of what it is that you're writing about and uh, you know, hope that it does some of the same for them. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, I have to say that you have played a significant part in bringing forward the book itself, as I acknowledge you in the acknowledgments of the book. I mean, our friendship and our community that we have here, you know, we've been thinking about this in common over many years, and that's what allows this kind of thing to come through. So I want to, you know, acknowledge you as a, as an, a silent co-author in a way. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been fun to be part of it. So let's just start with, you know, a pretty homely question. (laughs) Sure. And that is, what do you mean by the title, The Presence of the Infinite? What are the themes that you want the reader to really integrate here? Sure. The presence of the infinite is spiritual experience itself. You know, as I argue in the book, when we have a a spiritual experience of of all the many ways that we can, we're we're literally uh, actually experiencing the infinite within the finite. And by the infinite, I mean more than a quantitative infinity. You know, I'm talking about a kind of a metaphysical infinity of quality. And the idea of this concept of the infinite is, is very useful for evolutionary spirituality, which is, you know, the focus of the book, because it, it's, it, it's specific. We can talk about spirit in terms of the infinite. It does a lot of work in explaining things, as we'll get into here in our conversation. But it's also pluralistic and fairly open in the sense that both non-dual traditions, theistic traditions idealistic traditions, there's a widespread agreement that whatever spirit is, it's infinite. It has this quality of infinity that it's outside of time and space. It's not an object. Yeah. It, it's transcendent well, Wouldn't you that say way. that that's true of really every stage of development has some version of this world is not our home? I mean, that there's, a, there's an unseen world that is we live in and it's beyond our senses. Sure, but it's not just transcendent, it's also imminent. That is, you know, the infinite is in the world, in the experiences of spirit that humans, you know, are capable of having, and we have been having for, you know, thousands of years. And indeed, I, I argue that spiritual experience itself is one of the things that causes consciousness to evolve most effectively. Mm-hmm. So the the exploration of spiritual experience, which is the theme of the book, uh, at the end um, suggests a potential method, you know, or, or approach to raising consciousness, to gently persuading people to more inclusive views of, of what's beautiful, true, and good. Uh, the spiritual experience itself does the persuading, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, whitehead thought of the beautiful, the true, and the good as lures and, and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of have a gravity as mm-hmm. I, as I speak of in the book. And so the themes of the book are spiritual experience, the presence of the infinite, uh, spiritual leadership, and how our culture uh, deserves, you know, a, a more inclusive and uh, a truer form of spiritual leadership, which I think evolutionary spirituality can provide. 
Uh, it has a cultural analysis of the different kinds of spirituality, both their strengths and shortcomings, you know, the major categories of spirituality that are on offer in American culture. Mm-hmm. The book uh, offers a, uh, a constructive critique of progressive spirituality, how evolutionary spirituality can, can push off against its shortcomings while including its important accomplishments. And uh, uh, the book also offers a, a critique of um, non-dual spiritual teachings themselves while also explaining how important the accomplishments of non-dual spirituality have been uh, in their in their increasing and ongoing introduction in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book's got a lot of different themes going on. The idea that the emergence of evolutionary spirituality as a distinct new form of spirituality, um, you know, it's, it's an it's exciting frame that allows us Absolutely. to see a, a lot of new things. Yeah, and it, it was this is what you know really, I, I think, literally triggered me into a new, bigger territory, and that's this idea of what is beyond postmodern spirituality. What is integral spirituality? Mm, right. And if I look at my own trajectory of my own growth towards goodness, truth, and beauty. Sure. Okay, so I was born into a Christian fundamentalist family. And I believed that Jesus walked on water and Moses parted the sea. Mm -hmm. And this didn't survive contact with eighth grade earth science. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I moved into the modern stage and everything's sort of observable and explained and and all of that good stuff. And then there's postmodern, basically at at the modern stage, I lost my religion. Mm -hmm. One way I could look at it, and I gained reason and all of the scientific view. And then postmodern, I moved to Boulder, and uh, postmodern still keeps sort of a, an atheistic view. Hmm. Um, God's gone. God is wrung from the system. Mm-hmm. But we're allowed to let some magic back in, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we so we have talismans and we, you know, cr- crystals and dancing with the woods and all of that good stuff. And then the other thing that post and you lay this out in your book beautifully. I'm just letting you know how it worked for me. I think. Okay, so at postmodern, so I come to Boulder, and uh, at postmodern, you sort of maintain the atheistic view of modernity, or at least I did, and um, and then I moved into, you know, I could dance in the woods, and I could have some crystals, and I could do some of that kind of old magic stuff, I bring that forward, uh, and then the other thing was Eastern religions, which were really good because, you know, they offer this non-dual view, which is absolutely potent spiritual progress the realization of the non-dual. Indeed. And it's non-theistic, at least Buddhism is. Mm-hmm. And so that is also allowed in post-modernity. And then, so the next step is, and this is what you argue, and I think it's really just so right on, and it feels so right on to me, is the reintegration of theism. Panentheism would probably oh. be the term I would I would want, but <laughs> okay. theism, sure. All right. Uh, that is, in, in the book, I describe the three major forms of spirituality, you know, of course, religious spirituality, which is about 40% of the U.S. population, that includes both people at the traditional stage of culture and many modernists as well. Then there's a kind of a competitive form of opposite a spirituality, which I call secular spirituality, which is has a significant following in the U.S., those who are active non-believers who define their identity, you know, in a sense, by, by not being spiritual. And then in the last... 40 or so years in the United States, there has emerged this distinct new kind of spirituality, which I'm framing as progressive spirituality. And that includes all the countercultural alternative forms. It has its post postmodern center of gravity, but again, it includes many modernists. 
Uh, and we can see it's gone through these stages emerging as a, a major kind of a cultural force in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, continuing to mature, reaching a kind of fluorescence in the 90s, uh, and, and continuing to be around in this century, but not with the same uh, growth trajectory that it was uh, right. you know, in the 1990s. So progressive spirituality contains, just like religious spirituality contains you know, fundamentalists, but also intellectually sophisticated theologians. It's got a full spectrum. Um, progressive spirituality also includes uh, rather magical New Age thinking uh, forms, as well as some very mature uh, intellectually sophisticated forms of progressive spirituality. Uh, we can see that as progressive spirituality has matured and grown and and come to its fruition, it's it's matured into a, a, a real clear agreement about the non-dual nature of ultimate reality. In other words, non-duality, especially since the turn of the millennium, has come to represent the most mature expression of uh, progressive spirituality. And that's what a lot of people in the, uh, certainly progressive, as you say, but also the integral world, mm -hmm. uh, really feel that, you know, a good experience, download, understanding, realization of non-dual is as good as it gets. Right. And that's because at the, at the foundation of non-dual spiritual teachings, both, uh, you know, the Advaita Vedanta version, the Buddhist versions, um, and the other forms of non-dual spirituality that have been brought together under the kind of the complex of the non-dual agreement that exists within progressive spirituality, you know, exemplified by teachers like Eckhart Tolle, you know, whose teaching is kind of a blend of Hinduism and Buddhism, or A.H. Almas. You know, these are sophisticated teachers, and, and non-dual spirituality is an ancient line of development. You know, it kind of begins in the ancient times, and it continues to grow through uh, traditional uh, modernist, postmodern, and of course that line now extends into the integral or evolutionary level, right? So this line of development has been greatly benefited by non-dualities taking root within the West. So one of the most important and powerful parts of non-dual spirituality is that it it represents what I call a kind of an attractor basin of a spiritual experience. In other words, there are practices, you know, meditation being the the, the, the most prominent that lead to experiences of spirit which are distinctly non-dual in their flavor and their implications. And the, the apogee or the depth of this non-dual attractor basin of spiritual experience is the unitive experience, uh, as it's known in the literature. Also, samadhi. There's many different names. Different um, uh, traditions or lineages have descriptions of the levels that one goes through. But regardless of any um, belief systems or spiritual teachings in themselves, there's a clear reality of a deep mystical experience where subject and object, you know, the differences collapse and there's an experience of being enveloped in complete oneness. And this spiritual experience of, of you know, this unitive non-dual experience is described by those who've had it as being uh, hyper lucid. You know, it's sort of more real than a normal experience. Yeah. And uh, this this unitive experience is, it serves as a foundational uh, grounding experiential reality that leads to all of the forms of non-duality that um, are, you know, uh, in the marketplace of ideas, you know, at the moment. Yeah. So progressive spirituality has accomplished the bringing of the non-dual, the consolidating of the non-dual, you know, the, the, the non-duality as a, as a form of spirituality has grown beyond the traditional forms of its birth mm -hmm. and become a, a very important kind of spirituality. And this, this sort of culmination of non-duality as we see it now or you know not i mean it's going the line will continue to grow but but the the fluorescence of non-dual spirituality um now allows us to take a, a very important next step yeah and uh that's where evolutionary spirituality transcends and includes progressive spirituality all right 
So then here we are moving beyond this progressive spirituality in a way that includes the best of it. Right. And transcends it with a whole new structure, the integral structure. Uh, and you're calling this evolutionary spirituality. So that's very exciting. And so describe what that is. Well, like any form of emergence, at the beginning, it's very hard to tell the something more from the something less. And there are plenty of examples of, of uh, teachings and practices within progressive spirituality which call themselves evolutionary, right? Just like there are plenty of postmodern forms that call themselves integral, right? And that's understandable and evolutionarily appropriate, I suppose. But evolutionary spirituality attempts to push off against the shortcomings of progressive spirituality, even the most mature versions of it, by understanding that that the story of evolution that science and history have delivered to us, right, our 13.8 billion year uh, evolutionary story, is itself a major spiritual teaching. In other Damn words, right. a, a truth this big Hallelujah. is not just a scientific fact, it's got spiritual implications. So interpreted um, from an integral perspective, we can begin to discern teachings of of, of evolution, spiritual teachings of evolution, and those, in a sense, offer a new a, a new standard of measurement by which we can um, better harmonize science and spirituality and overcome the kind of pluralistic relativism that anything goes uh, a milieu of progressive spirituality. Yeah, well, I think it's just remarkable that modernity, you know, science, the the the, the system that wrung God out of the you know out of the system right uh, is actually by showing us this evolutionary story starting with the Big Bang actually provides the least material context right for um, a whole new spirituality that includes the greatest teachings of science itself yeah so so let me let me suggest uh, what my understanding my interpretation of the spiritual teachings of evolution you know what are some of the uh, the elements of that one I would say that um, that the structure of emergence, uh, the, the the structure that we see in the periodic table of elements, the structure that we see in the biological tree of life, the structure we see in the spiral of development within consciousness and culture, these are a kind of a unified structure of development that transcend and include all the way from you know helium uh, <laughs> atoms, <laughs> hydrogen atoms to um, uh, you know to to our current uh, global civilization. And so the teachings, some of the teachings of evolution that we can read off of this structure of emergence includes that evolution creates value as it emerges, that something more keeps coming from something less. And so that this creation of value, this movement in the direction of, of that which is more beautiful, true, and good, as I carefully argue in the book, uh, is, is a teaching about um, evolution being progressive, evolution creating value. Another important spiritual teaching of evolution is that um, Emergent within evolution is purpose, right? Purpose, in a sense, the will to live is what distinguishes life from non-life. And then with the emergence of humans, a higher level of purpose, you know, the purpose to self-actualize and strive for ever higher realizations of the beautiful, the true, and the good, that's a higher kind of purpose, a free will purpose. But we can see how that emerges within evolution. And so the, the experience of purpose that we have, you know, our purposes are its purposes. You know, so that we, not only do we embody uh, 14 billion years of structural emergence in our bodies and our minds, we also embody the universe's purpose in the evolutionary impulse that we feel, you know, from the basic biological urges all the way up to our highest spiritual aspirations. Yeah. And and this is another spiritual teaching which we can read right off of what we now understand about evolution. Well, and I think evolution. it actually is, is in, in some ways in the category of your title, The Presence of the Infinite. 
there is a realization if one sits and allows it to arise of, oh my God, I'm writing 13.8 billion years of history and I feel that in my cells. Right, right. I feel that in my atoms. Yes, and the truth of these spiritual teachings, in a sense, creates a spiritual experience in themselves. It quickens your purpose. It quickens your sense of being at home in the universe. Um, it gives you more energy, and you can feel the pull of value gravity um, more thoroughly, and, and that, you know, it motivates you, and, and it satisfies you. Uh, that is, because we can feel the pull of value, we can feel the arrows to evolve and to self-actualize and to grow and live up to our potential and make the world a better place, you know, both ourselves, nature, self, and culture, when I talk about the evolving universe, this helps us appreciate the role of the beautiful, the true, and the good, and indeed all intrinsic values in evolution, right? That these are these are best understood not as static, platonic forms, but as the directions of evolution themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they're sort of the, 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 the infinite when it shines through the finite in our experience, when we see flashes of perfection and completion, and, you know, the infinite in its perfection, the perfect being that appears within the becoming, mm -hmm. we can begin to identify these appearances, these experiences more clearly through this very important philosophical spiritual rubric, which is this idea of a, of a system of primary values that are the kind of great evolutionary attractor, the beautiful, the true, and the good. So that's another important spiritual teaching of evolution, yeah. is the role of these intrinsic values that, that influence consciousness and pull evolution into more and more complete states. Right. My chime rang a little bit when you talked about the being within the becoming. Mm. And so this gets into God, I guess, you know, a personal deity, a creator, or, or, or how creation is seen personally. I mean, help me out here. What, sure, sure. What are we talking about? Well, one of the, um, the the strengths of evolutionary spirituality is a way it expands our understanding of what spiritual experience is in itself, you know, how it works, how it moves the universe toward the beautiful, the true, and the good, how spiritual experience includes, you know, many things. Of course, it includes a mystical spiritual experience. It includes psychedelic spiritual, you know, a collective group spiritual experience. But one of the ways that evolutionary spirituality expands our hold on the nature of spiritual experience is by plumbing the depths of the spiritual experience that's available in these primary values of beauty, truth, and goodness, right? And as we, as we expand our, our understanding of spiritual experience, as I argue, we begin to understand that there's, in a sense, not just one attractor basin, not just the non-dual with a unitive experience at, at its uh, you know, depth point, but there's a sort of another attractor basin that's both complements the non-dual, but also in a sense challenges it in a way. And this is the theistic or panentheistic basin of spiritual experience. And at the heart or the depth of, of this uh, realm is the spiritual experience of the love of the creator for hmm. each creature. Mm -hmm. You know, that the love of God is the sort of the, the, the thrilling experience of being known and cared for as an individual by the source of the universe is a thrilling confirmation of the faith of those who have a personal relationship with God, or who are, you know, are practicing the presence of this creative um, being, which so has, you know, will and love. This Creator God sees me, Jeff, and loves me, Jeff. That's that's what the experience of the love of God confirms. I mean, it goes beyond any doctrines or, or teachings or mythic anthropocentric understandings of what the Creator of the universe is all about. The love of God is irreducibly relational, right? Love is a relationship, and so if if that's how it challenges the non-dual. I mean, clearly there's, you know, non-dual ultimate reality is a very important part of ultimate reality. 
But there's another deep experience of ultimate reality, you know, as I'm describing the love of God, which in a sense challenges, right? Well, so, and of course, humanity has uh, developed both. I mean, in, in Buddhism and, and other non-theistic religions, it was done without, uh, expressly, without a creator God. Sure. And in the West, it was built all around a creator God. That itself, to me, as, you know, as citizen of the world argues that there's got to be some truth to both clearly yeah yes and and so one of the it's important to see it from this evolutionary perspective how modernism when it emerged during the enlightenment it it had to break the grip of a religious state right a, a, a you know a religious civilization that was oppressive and, and medieval in, in many horrific ways so pushing off against the shortcomings of religious spirituality was a very important step of modernity right but then postmodernity comes along, and, and one of the ways that it transcends modernism is by reclaiming spirituality. But it's still engaged in this uh, multi-stage historical task of transcending, you know, the shortcomings and pathologies of religious spirituality. So it naturally finds spirituality in every place other than, you know, the inherited right. uh, heritage of, of Western civilization yeah. with the Abrahamic religions. It finds it in eco-spirituality and in Eastern forms of spirituality and in, in you know, personal. Uh, uh, psychological forms of spirituality, right? All these other, the, the, the spectrum of spirit is filled out, right? As, as progressive spirituality rediscovers um, spiritual reality in a, in a postmodern way, right? So the, the natural allergies or biases against theistic spirituality that both modernism and postmodernism have, these are evolutionarily appropriate for yeah. those levels, right? Yeah. But, but because we're building on those accomplishments at the evolutionary level, we're transcending both modernism and postmodernism. The work of pushing off against and creating the requisite conceptual distance from anthropocentric notions of a creator has been accomplished by these two stages. Yes. And that, at the evolutionary level, we can take a fresh look at the idea of ultimate reality's self-awareness, yeah. right? And if we are that, if we're all one thing, as non-duality teaches, and we have personality and we can love and be loved, then it sort of follows in a way that the source of all reality, that within ultimate being, there is a, a loving heart. Somebody is home, yeah. right? But we don't have to conceive of this in an anthropocentric or mythic way. We can reclaim theistic forms of spirituality um, at, at an evolutionary level. And one of the ways we do that is not, is we, we, we do that at the same time by transcending relativistic pluralism, right? So within progressive spirituality, which again makes important steps by its pluralism and its welcoming inclusivity, that's a strength. But it also has a, a flip side weakness, which is that it says that you know everything, all paths lead to spirit. Right. You know, and and while that's true at one level, that that of course you know all the spiritual truth leads in the same direction. It's we can begin to reclaim truth, the higher level of spiritual truth, by understanding that they're not just different paths to the top of the same mountain. That we're dealing with a, a existential interdependent polarity. It's not just within the world body of spiritual teachings and religions. It's actually in spiritual experience itself. It's just sort of built into the universe. Right. So, so this idea of interdependent polarities, polarity theory, is a sort of a new addition to integral philosophy um, that's come online in the last few years. It's, a, it's, a, it's an additional way of understanding dialectical development, right? Thesis and antithesis. Every polarity is, in a sense, represents in a way this thesis and antithesis that is searching for a synthesis. It's an opening or a portal. All right. So the, the thesis and antithesis that we're talking about here is the theistic and the uh, non-dual being the two poles, or the panentheistic and non-dual sure, yeah. being the two poles. Yeah. And then there's a new synthesis that arises out of the integration of these two 
into a whole new thing. I mean, you know, it's like, as you say, something continues to come out of nothing. More comes out of less. It's a higher level of spiritual realization. Right. Evolutionary spirituality is an emergent new form that transcends and includes the best of what has come before. And it does that by following evolution's own technique of dialectical development. So we can see, of course, you know, for 2,000 years or more, you know, 2,500 years, we've had the Abrahamic religions. And, and that form of spirituality has been very well developed by saints and sages throughout history, you know, Indeed. including many shortcomings and pathologies, but also deep experiential spiritual truths. And of course, progressive spirituality is in a sense seeks the antithesis and finds it abundantly in non-dual spirituality, which is a very important step and accomplishment and one that's ongoing in evolutionary spirituality. But then we can we can take another dialectical step and, and re-include at a higher level the 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 spiritual experience basin wherein the love of God is reclaimed. But to reclaim the love of God, uh, there has to be some recognition of the relational quality of creator and creature. There has to be a recognition of transcendence. Well, and there also has to be some way of getting over the fact that that's sort of, I contract around that. I have antibodies to that. I am embarrassed by that. I, you know, I, I, I have a hard time differentiating how I could believe in God again right. from how I believed in God before, which I clearly can't do anymore. I, right. I couldn't do that since I was 13. Sure. So, um, well, so how do we do yeah, I mean, yeah, what's, we, what's we the tease, practice We in tease here? apart the dignities from the disasters, yeah. right? The mythic, anthropocentric, judgmental, even vengeful conceptions yes. of deity, which we inherit from uh, you know, the Abrahamic religions. We're able to effectively uh, purge those or prune those away without necessarily rejecting any idea that the source of uh, the universe is self-aware. Because part of the the anchor, you know, the foundation. Self-aware. That's, I'm going to stop there. The, the creator of the universe is self-aware and is aware of all of his, her, its creations. Uh, that's my understanding, both experientially and by way well, of my... I would love to my, believe that. My, the teachings that I adhere to as, as in terms of my identity. Yeah. Yeah. And... and uh, I'm not sure I can, but I mean, it's like... I mean, here's how I can. I, I can experience or I can practice this by saying, okay, God, I, I have a feeling that you're there. I mean, I'm beginning to get a sense. Help me understand you. You know, uh, reveal yourself. This is, of course, a time-honored prayer mm -hmm. of, you know, God-fearing people of all time in a way, mm -hmm. right? And I think maybe it comes into use here. Sure. Well, the practice question is key, and I address that quite a bit in the book. I, I just like if you if you want to have a non-dual experience, you undertake the practices that lead to it. Uh, mystics can have experiences without practice, but for most people, practice is required. You're talking meditation. Meditation primarily, yeah, right? So right. you meditate for enlightenment. Um, non-dual experiences yeah. are usually what follows, right? Well, this this theistic attractor basin of spiritual experiences I'm just describing, it has its own time-honored practices, which, if followed, will lead to a direct experience of the love of God. And, and these practices include uh, practicing the presence of, of God, both inside of us and around us in our world. It includes um, ideas of prayer, you know, not as a recital of, of a pre-prescribed words or as a, a petition for special... Uh, you know, um, uh, favors from a capricious deity. Prayer at the evolutionary level of spiritual understanding becomes a, uh, a you know, a, a, a gratitude, a thanksgiving, an acknowledging of presence, um, both internally and externally. Yeah. And another important practice, uh, again, the, the words resonate with the mythic level, but we can reclaim these words, and, that, and that's the idea of faith. You know, faith isn't just a belief in things that you don't 
experience. Faith at the evolutionary level, just like meditation, right? As you meditate and you reach higher stages of consciousness, that the practice deepens and reveals more. Likewise, a practice of faith at the evolutionary level um, is a practice of um, experiencing more than our, our mental awareness can experience. The best way to put it is um, that that loving, feeling the love of God, it's a kind of a, a two-way street. In other words, the more we practice the presence of God, the more we love God, have faith in God, worship God, the more we open the channels by which we can receive God's love yeah. in our own hearts. Yeah. You know, Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher, put it, human things must be known to be loved, but divine things must be loved to be known. So well, the idea say, that... Say that again. Okay. I, I need that twice. Yeah, yeah. Human things must be known in order to be loved. Okay. But divine things must be loved in order to be known. All right. So the, oh, that's fabulous. So then that's actually the act of faith is to just, I'm just going to go ahead and love God. And... Right. Well, part of it involves spiritual truth teachings. In other words, most folks... Because I actually can do that. I mean, I actually can... Okay, I can love God, I right, think. Right, right. Well, there's a, the truth practice involves considering why uh, the idea that the universe doesn't have a self-aware creator is partial. In other words, that, that every truth is true but partial. Theism is true but partial. Non-duality is true but partial. And so the truths of non-duality are actually fortified and strengthened and made more true by these uh, the, this natural interdependent polarity of theistic truth and vice versa. Okay. In other words, that at, at the evolutionary level, the spiritual practice uh, that, that, that is re recommended and, and becoming available is to practice both poles with reference to each other. In other words, to practice non-duality with reference to the love of God and to practice theism with reference to the absolute oneness of all yeah. there is. Yeah. And in the book, I describe what it might mean for a non-dualist to practice, uh, you know, experiencing the love of God. Well, and, and, for it, and there's actually some of that, that going on. I mean, it, particularly in Vajrayana Buddhism, uh, there's a lot of deity practice and and even the idea of Buddha nature. Mm -hmm. um, Which is controversial within I Buddhism. I know, of course sure. it is. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, it's funny. You know, I've studied these non-dual traditions for all these years. And, mm -hmm. um, they, they're always sort of pulled to a theist. They always want to sort of personify the... The, you know, the great creative cervix or, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> right, right. Um, and and yet, you know, they keep, in some ways, they're doing what you're talking about. They're truing each other up. Right, yeah. right. But now that we can, the, the very important spiritual breakthrough for evolutionary spirituality is being able to see that there's a structured polarity, that it's an interdependent polarity, which mirrors the larger structure of the universe itself, right? Being and becoming is an interdependent polarity, absolute and relative, creator and creature. Yeah. These structural features of the universe as a whole, infinite and finite, this is sort of the master polarity, which orders and is fractally distributed, if you will, you know, into our understanding of this human experience and teaching of spirit. Yeah. So the idea that, that the non-dual is supplemented by the theistic and the theistic is, is supplemented and expanded by, by the non-dual, um, beginning to practice that involves, in a sense, appreciating, like, for example, in the yin-yang symbol, right? The familiar yin-yang, there's uh, the white dot in the black wave and the black dot in the white wave, yes. right? At the, at the traditional level of spirituality, the idea is to find a, a, your your drawn by your heritage, by your society, into a form of spirituality, and you practice that to the exclusion of all others. At the postmodern level, 
you might find Buddhism to be the most attractive or progressive Christianity or some other path and you would want to adopt that path even though it's sort of you're not you don't hold it in an exclusive way like you would at your at the traditional level but you want to go into that path in its fullness but at the evolutionary level we begin to understand how practicing any given path whether it's non-dual or theistic in its fullness and with rigor now involves acknowledging a place for the black dot in the white wave fabulous you know or the white dot in the black wave in yes. other words um that is i can experience the love of god more fully by practicing emptiness yes we can also see how, as you mentioned earlier regarding you know Buddhism and, and pretty every form, you can see it there, because there's a, a, a intuition of the partiality of either, either pole by itself, right? There's a tendency to kind of move to the middle, which yes. is itself a kind of a fallacy, right? So we see this on the theistic side by those who want to kind of tone down or, or deny the nature of a personal God, you know, for understandable reasons, like Bishop Shelby Spong argues right. that we should sort of give up on the notion of a, of a personal God and recognize it's more of a creative principle or a self-organizing tendency, yes. right? It's sort of moving to the middle by depersonalizing one extreme of the pole, right? Yes. We see it on the Buddhist side, for example, you know, the venerable teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, who's an important ally, I think, in the evolutionary spiritual um, uh, adventure, but he, he, he renders sunyata, or emptiness, as interbeing, right? Yes. Now, that's a kind of a move to the middle, too, yes. right? But in the more robust expressions of each pole by themselves, right, like in, in the non-dual school of, uh, of philosophy that came out of Japan, right, founded by uh, Kitaro Nishida uh, over 100 years ago, his idea of emptiness was absolute nothingness, yeah. right? The void, totally. complete emptiness. Yeah. It wasn't interbeing. It wasn't something. It was nothing. Right. And and the fullness of that... But not be, even nothing. Not even nothing, right. <laughs> that can be, if you fully embrace that, it can give you a sense of cosmic vertigo. It's like, whoa, you know, there really is it's nothing. You know? and, and so the fullness of the void, as as you know, some non-dualists have, have understood it, is, is in a sense complemented and supplemented by the fullness of the other pole, which is God as a loving creator who knows you personally, yeah. who lives inside you, who's closer to you than your own breath, but who has a transcendent you, in super whose consciousness. whose lap you can sit. In whose hand in, you can hold. Yes. Yes, and who loves you as an individual. You know, so the idea that we can have both... And protects you and guides you. The, I mean, good Lord. The truth of that we have no self, that we, we lack self-nature because we are the nature of everything, very important truth. And it contrasts with the truth that we are individual sons and daughters of a living God who can love and be loved as original individuals. The, you know, Houston Smith says the, that the opposite of a great truth is a false, a small truth is a falsehood, but the opposite of a great truth is an equal and opposite truth. Yes. We could begin to see how the non-dual and the theistic are equal and opposite truths. We don't have to subordinate. We don't have to say in a hierarchy that uh, non-dual is the ultimate realization and that theism is sort of a, it, it, it's down there by several levels, right? That's, I would say, I would argue that, that that's as high as we could get before we discovered this polarity. Of course. And, and you know, that's not all wrong. No. Uh, if you're on a non-dual path, no, that non-duality continue to be the summit of your realization. Absolutely. Right? But the idea that there's this absolute scale and that theism is lower, obviously theists like me object to that. Yes. And, um, and, and this isn't just a, a convenient way of bringing the two into harmony. It's an experiential reality that we can find in spiritual practice, in spiritual teachings, and within spiritual experience itself. Wow. Well, yeah. Right on, man. Amen. Thank you. So, um, so where do we go from here? Is there uh, um, a church? 
<laughs> well, no, uh, there, the uh, you know, there, there might be soon there, there could be, I think that, that the culture of evolutionary spirituality is still emerging within this larger integral worldview, which is itself a kind of a small intellectual community. Um, even though there are practitioners on practically every continent, it still isn't a, a significant social movement with any visibility really within the culture. And again, that's not a bad thing. It's it, it, the emergence, evolution takes time. Yeah. But um, uh, I think what we're experiencing now is is sort of a, a new wave of emergence within um, the evolutionary worldview, and this uh, deeper recognition of spiritual truth, whereby both poles can true up each other, and we could begin to bring polarity theory uh, to bear upon our understanding of the universe and our understanding of our spiritual lives. These are very powerful truths, and they're inevitably going to manifest power in their proclamation. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the culture of evolutionary spirituality continue to develop, um, and it's developing in a virtual way, you know. But it also happens at conferences. Um, but it's in its infancy, and that's the part of the good news. Really, is that people who are drawn to it here at the beginning have an opportunity to contribute to it um, in ways that are fresh. Yeah. I mean, it needs everything. Yeah. So there's so many opportunities for serving this emergence. That is, by participating in the emergence of this great next phase of history, in a way, we have opportunities for self-actualization that are truly historically significant. So, you know, you and I are drawn to it. The people who are listening to this are, are drawn to it. And we all have a way to serve by practicing the beautiful, the true, and the good at this higher level. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Steve. And again, your book, The Presence of the Infinite, is out now. Well, it should be out um, any day now. When when this recording airs, it'll probably be out. The subtitle is The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, it's taken three years of blood, sweat, and tears to create. But, um, you know, I'm I'm honored to be able to to put this out there. And uh, hopefully we'll, um, you know, it'll it'll connect with people. I trust it will. I have faith that it will. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Practice the presence of it. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you again, Steve McIntosh. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Jeff Salzman signing off. Thanks, Jeff. Pleasure to be with you again. 